Good morning. It's good to be with each one of you this morning again. Um, the sun was up this morning when I came to the room here where we're doing the live stream. I think it's a little bit gray now, but I've really been enjoying the sun, the green grass of spring, and um, it gives me hope and uh, courage, but obviously it's because I believe in the one who is making that all happen. But yes, it's good to be with you this morning. Our Sunday school lesson, as Daniel shared, was on the law. And I'm going to be referring to that a few times this morning in my message. But the reason I felt led to share on this was in the last few weeks especially, we've been hearing people talk about the what they perceive as hypocrisy. And I'll leave that up to you. But of those who claim to want to save every life, and yet they still promote abortion, and I'll talk about that more later, but it got me thinking, where do we base our ideas for, or, or what's our basis for morality? And that's, that's my topic, or the title of my message this morning is, is Morality. And then where does it come from? Where does that concept or principle come from? There's much disagreement on that. Um, some say um, that it ends in man, that if whatever man has decided, you know, whatever the consensus is, whatever the majority believe, that that is what's moral. And if man decides something isn't moral, it it's it's immoral or whatever. It doesn't matter what was happened in the past. It's just whatever man decides today. And I believe it's a very dangerous position. <clears throat> but there's also a lot of people who would agree on what is moral. But some of the, if you think about consensus, that for thousands of years, slavery was considered moral. And even today, there are many countries that would still practice slavery. And yet, you and I would say that slavery is immoral. It, the one person having total control over another human being through slavery is wrong. But you have to go back to, where do you get that from? How, what, what allows you to say that? What allows me to say that slavery is absolutely immoral? Another one is murder. Um, many people have been murdered by people who would claim to be moral people. People that other people looked up to. On what basis did they do that? And what basis can you or I say that that is immoral to murder, to kill someone? And it all goes back to where do we get our authority or basis for it? One thing that's often true in human history, but today, no matter where you are, that many people struggle with having one set of morals for yourself and another set for someone else. You either hold yourself to a higher one, but often you hold yourself to a lower one than what you hold other people to. 
you say, well, you know, everybody should share, everybody should be kind. But then you make up excuses and reasons for why you don't have to do it yourself or why you, why you don't want to do it. Um, I had to think of, you know, there, I could have gone to many, many different examples this morning, and I'm just going to use two. The first one is the Muslim faith is a good example of this, that there's a set of rules, a set of moral laws that apply to Muslims and how they treat each other. But then there's another set for infidels, Christians, Jews, and others. And I'm not just here to pick on the Muslims, because I think it's a human problem that we, in our hearts, want to think that we would, could live up to the standard we're holding every, everybody else to, but then we often fail ourselves. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Um, Jesus often... Jesus often referred to um, the Pharisees and their hypocrisy and the things they struggled with. And there's a lot of verses I could have read from, so I'm going to try to keep it limited. But Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees in Jesus' day definitely struggled with having one standard of morals for themselves and another for everybody else. Beginning at verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in the Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers." But all their works they do, for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms of the feast, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and ye are, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father, Upon the earth, for one is your Father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your Master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them to enter in to go in. And I'm going to read more in that chapter later, but... We see there the Pharisees doing this whole thing of having one set of morals, one set of rules for themselves, and another for those that were under them or those that were trying to serve God, going to the temple, doing all that. The Pharisees would add rules, add things, but they themselves couldn't be bothered to obey the law. And Jesus was very uh, bothered by that. And and we should be too when we see it in our own lives. Um, the golden rule in Matthew seven twelve says, Therefore all things whatsoever you would men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That should be our, our operating principle, is to treat others the way we want to be treated. 
When it comes to morals and ethics, we should always hold ourselves to a higher standard than anyone else. But we see that there are people struggle, tend to struggle with this. We see it many times when leaders, you see it in politics, you see it in churches, you see it in businesses, where leaders will hold their employees, hold their church members to a higher standard than maybe they hold their own family members to. And it just causes problems, obviously. But we're forgetting who set those morals up. What those morals are based upon is very important. But when we apply the golden rule to ourselves and God is not in it, then it's easy for us to just kind of get a consensus of everyone around us and if nobody thinks this certain thing is wrong to do, well then let's just all do it. And what you see, you see a society become less and less moral to God's laws. You see a society become more and more lawless as more and more things that should be immoral, should be a standard, are no longer taught and kept. And so for the golden rule to work, for the idea that you treat others the way you want to be treated, you must also have understand where those morals and standards come from. It's easy to be influenced by the world around us. Um, and that's nothing new. Um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. At this point, there were two people on earth, and you would think there would be no temptations, no pressures to disregard the morals of God, but we'll see that's not true. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also under her husband with her and did eat, and he did eat. So we already see the very beginning of the world, a very short time after God created the first man and woman. At that point, they were sinless. At that point, um, many of the things that we struggle with on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis, things that Satan tries to draw us away from God with. They didn't have those temptations, and yet they still had to make those decisions, those choices to whether they were going to follow God's moral, God's laws. And we see here they failed here. And there are many times we fail. Even though we may say that we believe in certain things, there are times where we fail. But there's a difference between failing and just absolutely accepting that it's okay. 
we must come back to God when we do. Um, He's still trying to do this today, trying to claim things that God has said were immoral and claim it as good. Marital relations outside of marriage is immoral, but Satan has used the rebellions of the 60s and 70s cultural revolution to claim the opposite. Now many consider it, don't even consider it sin. Satan has twisted marriage into something from something that was meant for life to something that's almost meaningless today. You can divorce, remarry, you can whatever makes you feel happy, shack up, all these things that are not moral, not the way God planned it, and yet man is trying to say that, that it's fine, it's no big deal, and trying to change. Now I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 23. And we look at how the Pharisees in their day found ways around God's law. They would make new laws and set up new morals. And it's still happening today with Satan. Picking up at verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether it is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar sweareth by it, and all things thereon. Jumping down to verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These have you ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. You blind guides which strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, sepulchres which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of uncleanness. And then at the end, at verse 33, um, it says, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? And that's a warning to all that may struggle, may uh, try to appear like good moral people on the outside, but inwardly are not following and abiding by the morals that God had set up. So, so Jesus was warning there once again that we need to be careful that we don't bring people to Christ and then send them to hell by teaching them what is not true. And I believe that is happening in many churches today. 
But back to my question, where, do our, where does our moral authority come from? I'd like to read um, Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 17 through 28. We could say, well, a lot of our morals that we follow today as Christians come from Christ. But is he the ultimate authority, or does, does his authority also come from somebody? So I want to look at that. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass, and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men, so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it is said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Agreed with thy adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver to thee a judge, and the judge deliver to the officer, and thou be cast in prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. We see here Jesus teaching a number of things that were taught as morals in the Old Testament. And people were asking him, well, does that no longer need to be done? Does that no longer apply to us? And Jesus is saying, no, the things I'm teaching go back or point backward towards the prophets and the judges to the Old Testament law because ultimately that came from God. And Jesus was saying, my law also, my morals also come from God. So we must... Remember that our, our, our basis for our morals come from God. It's not something that Jesus just started up out of nothing. And when he ch- changed the, the commandments, you would say he changed them, he fulfilled, he came and fulfilled them. When he talked about things being the things that were wrong, um, you know, in the Old Testament they talked about adultery and stealing, and those things are wrong. But when he came, he said, now I say that fornication and coveting, just thinking about the things that are wrong, that uh, were uh, immoral, are also immoral. And yet we live in a society today that makes movies and entertainments, books, magazines, that finds pleasures in the things that God calls sin. And some people say, well, as long as I'm not involved with them myself, I'm not committing a sin but we need to avoid these things because, as Jesus said, just thinking on them, dwelling on them in your heart, in your mind, is the same as committing the immoral acts. 
But this struggle, as I mentioned earlier, isn't new. I also want to turn to Genesis chapter 6, 6 verses 1 through 6. We see people today turning away from the morals that they knew to do, the things they knew to do, and they're turning to sin. They're turning to immorality, whether it's how they operate their business, whether it's um, the immorality in their marriage or in their lives. And we may, it may seem like it's a new struggle, but... Genesis 6, verse 1, It came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And I believe if we are children of God, if we are following after Jesus, that it will also grieve us to see the evil that is done around us and that we would want no part with it, that we would not want to be involved. But ultimately, there are people that try to say, well, you know, I, I have morals. I say it's wrong to kill. I say it's wrong to commit adultery and all these things. But yet they deny that there is a God or that he is a God who, would, who cares about us and cares what we do. Um, uh, Daniel this morning shared the, uh, talked about the story in Luke 18 of the rich young ruler. And I also felt led to talk about that story this morning. I had to think of it that in that story... And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 18. I'm not going to read all the verses. In that story, Jesus mentions five of the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler said, yes, I've kept those five. And the five had to do with the, the, the ways that we deal with other people. As far as honoring our parents, not stealing, not coveting, not lying, and those things. And the, the rich young ruler agreed that he had kept all those things. And yet, it was interesting that Jesus did not mention the five of the Ten Commandments that refer to our relationship with God in the fact that we need to keep God foremost in our lives. And I had to wonder, we don't know, but I, I, I believe that it appears that the rich young ruler had made money his God. He had put that above God. The Old Testament said, you know, you weren't supposed to have idols, that you were to honor God on Sunday, on the Sabbath, those, those things. And 
that the rich young ruler never said that he actually did those things. He did say that he would, the other five he followed. And when Jesus asked him to go and sell all that he had, I believe that Jesus was getting to the root of this man's struggle, getting to the root of the, why the rich young man was still wondering if he had an eternal life waiting for him on his death. And I believe if we think about those five when we're dealing with people of other religions, when we're dealing with um, people who claim to believe there is no God, that most of them will agree with those five. And even Muslims, I believe, in their law, in their, in their scriptures, would talk about being faithful and talk about not stealing and cheating. But yet then they make excuses for why you can do that. And people world round do that, make excuses, because they don't ultimately believe the authority of God that they must be followed at all times. And that's why it's important for us to remember that for us to be moral people, for us to be obedient to the morals that we want others around us to live, we must have a relationship and we must believe in the one who gave those morals. I have two different scriptures. The first one, Mark chapter 12, in closing. And then one in John also. But let's turn to Mark chapter 12. We'll read a couple verses there. When Jesus was talking to those who were trying to trip him up and all that, trying to get at what he believed. John chapter, or Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 29. And Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And I believe if you take the five commandments that I said in the out of the Ten Commandments that refer with our relationship with God, Jesus summed it all up in those two verses, verses 29 and 30. Then in 31, he speaks to the other, the other five. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And in these trying times as we see some people that are afraid, living in fear, afraid, that are scared with what the future holds. Let us remember to, first of all, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. But then secondly, to love our neighbors, even if they don't treat us well, to show kindness to those that are going through difficult times so that we can point them to the person who makes us not fearful. And then finally, I'd like to turn to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. 
And I, I challenge you that it's difficult with not meeting together weekly. It's difficult to stay connected with those in the church sometimes. But let us not forget to love one another, to be there for each other, to lift one another up, and to point those around us that are struggling, as I said earlier, to the one, to the reason that we can have hope. Lord bless each one of you.